the theme for the uh, afternoon talk is liberation through love. In the vast networks of sentient life and including human life, love has a remarkable and extraordinary function. It is a, a pivotal factor in our life. The presence of uh, uh, love is that which is able, you might say, to contribute to bringing the best uh, out of us. We can also witness the power of the same love in our uh, fellow creatures, whether on farm, in the wild, or domestic. There is something remarkably common and important for us with love. We look at our arts, the music, the dance, the film, the theatre, the literature, the poetry, the song, the orchestra, and we find again and again the consistency of the reminder of love. It permeates heart life, social life, personal life, and because of its significance, it's truly something in life worth uh, reflecting on, it's worth meditating on, it's worth having trust in, and it is a, a remarkable uh, undertaking. You probably have said to others or said to yourself at some point or other, <clears throat> oh, this, whatever it might be about, this love which I have, the love for the other person, the love of the job, and many other kinds of love, this love has caused me so much anguish, so much pain, so much confusion, so much difficulty. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a falsehood. Love cannot cause suffering. It's never been possible. It's a belief system. So sometimes we have some emergence of some difficulty. But love cannot cause it. If love caused suffering and anguish and conflict, the solution is simple. 
Stop loving. The conflict and the confusion, the anguish and the pain, bears no relationship to the love. It bears relationship to the wanting, the clinging, the holding on to, the misperceptions, the absence of understanding, the not realising, the not perceiving. That's where the problems lie. Not with love. And it is very easy in the difficult times of uh, human existence to direct problems at the love rather than where they need to be and that is that uh, absence of shortage, shall we call it, of understanding and, uh, and insights. It's not easy to trust in love. It really isn't. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we form it's a very common viewpoint here to liberate the love for us not to be defined by our viewpoints about it and one is that the mind very very frequently comes in sometimes in not a helpful way and the view is a measurement and the measurement could be there is not enough love inside of me I need to love myself more the voice which one hears people like me anyway, pretty well every day more than once a day so there's a measurement what there is but it's not enough and I need I need more and then you and I and others we kind of engage in activities to do that and then sometimes the psychology comes in as well and one of the popular the psychologists here have to forgive me on this one one of the popular statements which is made sometimes is Mummy and Daddy didn't love me enough. This is very popular. <coughs> Thank you, Mr. Freud. And the, so then, the view of the past, I didn't receive enough love from Mummy and Daddy, lands in the present, it's carried over years and uh, uh, decades. And with that, the mind has the view, this is the reason, where I'm not loving towards myself, I'm not loving towards others, I don't have enough uh, uh, love. So then poor mummy and daddy get the blame. But mummy and daddy didn't start off with a clean sheet either. So they could say, well, if I didn't have enough love to give to my children, that was obviously, on this reason, it means they, 
didn't get enough love from their parents to give it to them to give to us. And who are the grandparents going to blame? And finally we get back to Adam and Eve, whatever, right. It's not helpful thinking. One might be right. Perhaps mummy and daddy, I call them mummy and daddy, you might call them something else. (laughs) Perhaps mummy and daddy didn't give enough love. Perhaps they were too much involved in their career. Perhaps they were never around. Perhaps they were always complaining and putting us down. Perhaps they were very mean and and not very caring and uh, not very supportive. It might all be true. But it's not going to allow love to unfold, holding to the view. That's the problem with it. It's not, one isn't saying it's not true. It really could be true. But it won't contribute to the liberation of love. It will contribute to having a reactivity or a withdrawal or a negativity towards the past. And holding to that, honestly, never liberated anybody. Once or twice, no, once or twice is another understatement, a few times, in my, uh, what you call it, Dharma psychology role, Dharma therapy role, which I uh, have to attend to from time to time, A person has experienced a lot of difficulties with their past. I mean, genuinely so. And sometimes, and a few situations in mind, and one of them is where, in this case, the mother, it could be the father. Like one father said to his daughter, she's 20. And said to her, You're a nobody. You'll never be anybody. You're a nothing. And shouted at her. She completely traumatized. Lost her trust in her father. Felt really worthless and unhappy. And then had to endure this. And it took retreats. It took the fine skills of a fine therapist so that she could emerge out of that several years later and realize that's his stuff. That's his blame. That's his anger. That's That's his violence. That's his abuse. In the other situation, the mother brings up the daughter with alarming regularity not to share not to offer friendship and kindness and interest and curiosity but bringing up to tell the daughter regularly and this goes on, this is this mad world we live in to tell the daughter regularly I sacrifice my whole life for you oh come on 
I gave up everything and you're never grateful. You're never thankful for all that I, 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 I did for you. you can you imagine having to listen to that? Etc. Yeah. So in the conversation, this is the Dharma therapist here, the conversation with the person, she said, she's endured this for years, so my response was, find yourself a new mother. And she went, oh, Christopher, what? Find yourself a new mother. And I said, one doesn't just have to have the biological mother. And then I just left it, left it at that. She was bemused and a bit puzzled and so forth. And then sweetly, lovingly, a few weeks later, she dropped me an email. And she said, the, the woman was probably around 30, she said in the office, her office manager just loves her. And, really, and she really loves her and said that if she's got a problem, an issue, something's on her mind, she goes to the office manager, about anything, you can talk with her. And the manager is a woman in her 50s and listens and is caring. So, two or three weeks after the retreat, she went to the office manager and she said to her, Would you like to be my mother? <laughs> and the office manager said, I would love you as my daughter. And so, the communication of mother and daughter came together. And in the email, she said, my biological mother, I haven't withdrawn from her, I haven't cut off, I still go to see her, she is still ringing up, how much I've given up for you, blah, 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 blah. Uh, there. But she says, I just can listen now. I don't feel hurt by it, I don't feel upset, I don't feel angry with her anymore. And I can go and share with my new mother. And, and my life has got a lot, lot easier and there is a lot more trust in my life. Sometimes we as human beings in the, the exploration of love we need to be imaginative and a little bit creative as they say, think outside the box with regard to these things. Love is a beautiful thing in, in, in life and it's a pity if we kind of find our blame or our fault just uh, with it in terms of the, the measurement aspect of it which is the human one but there's other ways to look a little deeper there <clears throat> with love it takes as this the exploration of it and just to come to the tradition for a moment or two, this lovely word metta, M-E-T-T-A, with its threefold meaning, primary meaning, love, friendship, and loving kindness. And in the movement of love, the important one here, in the movement of love, not always 
it may be moving itself through a role in life. Often moves, through, not always, but it moves through a role. So, there is the role of the meditator, the role of the teacher, the role of the son and the daughter, the, 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 the role of the supporter, the worker, or whatever, the role of the friend, the role of the husband and the wife and the partner, etc. So we, we wish to know what the liberation of love is. We need to recognize in the freeing up of the love, what kind of directions does it move in? Sometimes it, it moves, as I say, through the roles. Then, as human beings, with the role, whatever the role that we have it, uh, is, it requires the other for its confirmation. Every role. This waller sits here, and currently the, the role fully requires your kindness, if I may say, in being silent and listening. Otherwise, the role is not going to happen, is it? If one or two of you get up and start singing and shouting or having a dance or whatever it might be. So roles require communication and cooperation for them to flow. You and I, we need to be mindful and aware of our primary roles in life. And then we need to attend to that and, there to, and therefore to see within the primary roles and it's the retreat's a wonderful place for reflection, this is what it's about, we bring a mindfulness to the primary roles and rather than say I don't have enough love, that measurement or I need more, another kind of same uh, measurement we ask ourselves in the primary roles what shows the love or in that great magnificent song from a couple of decades ago where is the love? And where is there the loss? Where is there the separation from? What shows the non-love? It could be the violence of the voice, it could be the moodiness, it could be the blame, it could be the, the worries and the fears and the anxieties, around the situation and rather than saying whoa this is because I love you or I love this work or I love this activity rather than saying that's causing it say no 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 what is the departure from the love and what way can I address that so we keep a certain comfort a certain um, receptivity <clears throat> and appreciation for the love and recognizing our humanness sometimes there is a departure from it the Buddha in uh, this spoke a huge amount about feelings I can't imagine that anywhere 
There's so much is said about human uh, feelings as in uh, these teachings that there's something rather deep and uh, profession, um, important here. At times, we have a difficult interaction with the other, whoever he, she may be. Just really, really difficult. And in the language of love, the Buddha has used the highest word that could be used. He uses the word God. The, the Buddhists you know, are terribly uncomfortable with the word God, but I rather like the word. And, and therefore he says that Brahma, which means God. That's, that's what the word means, it means God. Its root meaning, Brahma, means immeasurable. That's the root meaning. So he says, love is an expression of God. It's an abiding with God. It's a confirmation. It's divine abiding. Abiding with God. So he took the word God from out there as a metaphysic, brought it home to our being, and then spoke of love. But there is no expectation, this is important here, and pressure upon us to be always loving. I have not met a single human being in my life who, that I know, who I've met, I've talked with, and who is consistently loving. Not even humanly possible. Not even the Buddhas would make that kind of claim. However, sometimes in the face of the difficulty, the sense of love for, in a really challenging situation, may fade. But it doesn't have to fade and then deteriorate into reactivity, into anger, blame or revenge. It can fade and equal recognition and equal appreciation is given to equanimity. Sometimes one may not be loving towards the problematic other or even towards oneself. But it doesn't have to trigger the thinking of attacking oneself, putting oneself down, or putting the other. So when love fades, as it does at times, can we rest in, a, in an equanimity and recognizing, right now, I don't feel very loving about whatever that might be about, but let me just rest with this equanimity and be quietly steady and not have an expectation of myself that I should keep loving myself nor an expectation I should keep loving other people and the Buddha in the wisdom a real practical down to earth wisdom with this says to abide in equanimity that means very even hearted even minded and not loving just very steady and even-hearted, even-minded, is also abiding with God. 
is also a, if you don't like the word God, also a divine abiding, if you don't like the word ab- divine, a very deep, and after I can't think of another concept. So. <laughs> and that preciousness of not putting my pressure on myself as a human being to be always loving, and therefore, in that famous, one of the most famous verses in the old text, he said, blame, the word is often used as hatred, but personally, I very rarely meet people who really hate. Sometimes they're really angry and they're really aggressive, but very, very rarely do I have a sense of hate. So, the more subtle the statement is, though um, um, that there is the expressions of blame and uh, react- reactivity, but may I, and often the encouragement is, the language of, sorry, of a translation is love, but it's a, Blame does not cease with blame. Blame does not cease with blame. And then the next sentence is, blame ceases with non-blame. It doesn't say blame ceases with love. And sometimes it does. I mean, it's not, but it is not an expectation on us that we get a lot of blame and personal abuse and attack and, and others. We may not feel loving, but the teachings are not asking us to be loving in all of these situations. But can we be present and clear enough and honest enough that there isn't blame? Blame ceases with non-blame. And sometimes when I... Uh, look around at life and think, thank goodness for that. As a human being, I really don't have to be loving all the time. Makes life a lot easier, I have to say. And if there is any reactivity, any blaming and attacking uh, going, oh, whoa, let me have a mindfulness to explore that. It's not wise, it's not skillful, it shows some reactivity. Reactivity, the repeating of the old. That's a reactivity. We include in all the the exploration of love, I think it's a really precious one, and this is romantic love. Religions, for the most part, Having been a small student of uh, religions, interreligious school in Budgaya, etc., religions for the most part, when it comes to romantic love, are hopeless. Hopeless. Clueless they are. Buddhism, and, uh, and they just, and the others. The only one exception, which is kind of confirmed in the kitchen and in the living room I have, uh, have at home. And that is some of the lovely traditions of Hinduism. 
it realizes how beautiful and precious romantic love is. The other religions obviously forget them, but Hindu tradition has it. So on the wall of my home, I've got a picture of beautiful, which picked up in the marketplace here and had a nice frame put round them, about four or five of them. One is Rama and Sita. And then the other is Shiva and Parvati. So Shiva's the, he's a favourite of mine. He's the great, the austere ascetic, the hardcore yogi. I like that. I'm a fan of Sita. And then Parvati, she is the queen of the Himalayas. Extraordinarily beautiful. And Shiva sits there in a full lotus there on the tiger skin which is very naughty but sits there <laughs> and Parvati is the queen of the Himalayas she's there she's walking by the cave she sees Shiva and his majesty and then she adopts exactly the same posture for lotus the queen of the Himalayas meets the great austere Shiva eye to eye. <coughs> I find that story much more, much better than his story, the Buddha's story. He sat there and then the Maras came in the form of beautiful women. Oh, come on. Wake up. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I apologise to the orthodox Buddhists for <laughs> And the lovely one with Krishna. You know, Krishna's handsome and he's fun and he's deeply spiritual and has wonderful insights. And Krishna and Radha. Radha's teaching the next uh, retreat. I gave her the name Radha about 40 uh, years ago. You meet Radha. She's, she's the, the queen of the sari. And Radha and Krishna's eyes, just for a moment, catch each other. In a single moment, just catch at each other. And she was already married. She was also a bit naughty. You know, in the orthodox circles. Uh, there. And in that moment of the, the two eyes meeting, in that moment, there was love. Deep profound, non-dual love. And out of that single moment there, some of the most beautiful poems, plays, devotions, and spirituality, and chanting, and music, has sprung for centuries out of one single moment of Krishna and Radha catching eyes. Just how romantic is that? It may not happen to us, but it's nice to see that it, <laughs> that it, happen, that it happens. And then the moment, it's the movement of the love, but it doesn't have to be between a man and a woman or the same gender or, or whatever. It's a way of life. And uh, the way of life in the 
poetry of it also can be extraordinarily romantic. It's not that a romantic life is something about a relationship. It might be a relationship with a much bigger sense of life, uh, the joy, the vitality of life, and it, and it has a feeling of it. it's a romantic way of life. It's adventurous and, and creative and bold, and such as your precious uh, presence here and other aspects of the life. We want, want to feel the romance of life. To me, all of that is kind of expresses and uh, uh, belongs to the kind of uh, waking up. Feeling the remarkable energies of life. And just on the, uh, I may say, on the personal note for a moment or two, a couple of, actually, a couple of decades ago now, I was uh, <clears throat> in a precious and lovely uh, relationship um, with. A woman named Nina from uh, Sweden, been in a relationship around about uh, three years. And she was a couple of decades uh, younger than me, so just a short age gap. And a couple of points I remember this. One was a, a woman said, All right. You're in a relationship with this Swedish beautiful Swedish woman in her who's in her thirties. I said, Yes. And then she said, as I do, Oh she is obviously looking for a father figure. So I said, Are you in a relationship? She said, yes. She says, I'm married. And I said, what's the age difference? She says, oh, my husband, he's two years older than me. So I said, oh, obviously. You were looking for a brother figure. <laughs> What on earth has numbers to do with love? What on earth are numbers doing and using numbers to form a judgment? So a little while ago, Nina and I keep in contact friends, and then I think it was maybe last summer, I can't remember, maybe the summer before. She wrote to me from, uh, emailed me from Stockholm, said, Christopher, I'm coming to do a, a course in Glastonbury, which is kind of a spiritual town, da, 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 uh, there, shall we meet? So I hadn't seen her from, um, how long was it? Well, she's in her 30s, and now she's in her, in her 50s. So I was curious. So I took the train, and she kindly took the bus. We met at a, half, we met at a halfway point. And, and she got off the lo, lo, local bus. Actually, like today, she was completely dressed in 
black with a, a really cool pair of high heels there and just stood and looked had seen her you know gone from her 30s to her to her 50s and I went wow awesome she just looked as precious and as beautiful as ever so then we wandered around the town actually looking for somewhere to eat and sometimes back to the one-liner the gods are with us and what I meant by that lunchtime the restaurants were kind of closed and we finally found the place and it had lovely vegan vegetarian food but the other half was just sofas and armchairs we could just have a coffee and we just spent five or six hours <laughs> catching up and, and then of course at the end the selfies or as I prefer to call them the non-selfies but anyway <laughs> and uh, I took, to, uh, took a, a few uh, photographs uh, together and again time and age and love and friendship and uh, connection still still could be there very, very precious and deep and a good friendship still uh, still continues sometimes the love which is there is which I also appreciate very very much I live alone and there is love and that love can be to aloneness the, the, uh, the love of the solitary the love of living alone and there's something really precious about that as, 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 as well and, and in that there's, there's the silences there's the quietness uh, of the day one can make one's own decisions as well which is rather sweet so when we take the view it is to find the connections and, and the love and see the, in the liberation of love explore it through the roles which are the challenging ones to explore it through time and place the good lovely connections so to give two examples in the relationship which friends said to me two friends of mine actually poets living in France once a week they have a week of total noble silence at home for 24 hours if there's something important they write it on a piece of paper they thought it might be a bit you know, they're not speaking to each other and might trigger other patterns but in fact the, the full day of silence there brought another kind of closeness and connection just through sharing the silence together no, no words like, in fact like we do here which was where the inspiration came from and sometimes in the silence something touches to other friends Every week they have a meeting together with the agreement that they wouldn't go back more than one week and just share their experiences of each other over the week. Be, one would begin and speak about what the person loved and appreciated and then a little bit of time to speak about what was difficult or challenging and then the other person would speak and then they say a few words of uh, love and uh, hold hands and 
hopefully make love later on. And, and then the come, would come the next week. So, and I asked this couple, how long did they do this for? And she said, every week for 11 years. And when she came back on a retreat, I hadn't seen her for a few years, I said, are you still doing this? Wednesday evening after the evening meal sharing together. She said, we didn't do it for years, but we've now been together 28 years. And she said, we do it when there's something going on. (laughs) And we want to check in. There's always the agreement not to go back more than one week. Because then one gets into the, you never, you always, etc. So keeping it, the love in the presence of the immediacy. Sometimes persons come into our life who need our support. They need our kindness and our friendship and our need to listen. They don't want advice. They don't want us telling them what they should do, but they just need someone to listen. And in where I live, a person got hold of me, contact with me. She was experiencing a genuinely difficult time, <coughs> very, very, very distressing. She didn't know me, I hadn't met her before, and we spent an hour or two together, and listening and discussing and so forth. And that evening when, evening when I got back home, very sweetly, there was a bunch of flowers leaning up against my door, and thank you, Christopher. Very, very sweet. So I took the flowers, I put them in a bowl, then put them on the kitchen table. Uh, there, appreciative of her kind gesture. About a week, few days later, another friend popped in, and I just mentioned the flowers on the, on the table there, and I said, it's really remarkable. I said, the, the, the flowers, you know, put them in water, and I said, they are still as fresh as they were a week ago. They've really stayed fresh. I said, Christopher, can I just tell you something? They're made of plastic. <laughs> oh. I've been sitting having my toast, banana, and cup of tea for a week appreciating these flowers. <laughs> you know, the mindfulness must be very weak. It, it never even occurred to me. <laughs> what is life like, eh? Goodness me. So sometimes we don't know the plastic from the authentic, whatever. Come a little bit further with this and with the expressions of love. The challenge is not to set the limits, as I said earlier on, and sometimes, including here and elsewhere, there may be a genuinely in the being, a strong sense of love. Whatever that might be. It might be love of the retreat, love of the Dharma, love of a human being, love of the practice, or whatever. All is fine. But very easy 
the thought or the voice then arises in relationship to the love. Oh, when I leave here, when I go to uh, this, it starts, the view starts to reduce the trust in the love. Whether it's the love of the situation, the love of the other, the love of oneself, or, or, or whatever. And it's to kind of support and protect and liberate love, which is so much of the teaching, to really be mindful of the ways that we can undermine love in order uh, through, particularly through the future or through a view, oh it's going to fade, everything's impermanent, it's going to go away or whatever. Therefore I say, when there is the experience of love, friendship, kindness, warmth, connectedness, generosity, presence, and many expressions of it, please trust in it. Just trust it. Let one's being really be with it. Because what happens is that If we get into a, a fear or a reaction and we kind of start to lose the trust, the love gets kind of a bit weaker um, at that time. And sometimes people come on the lawn, not, not, not here on this retreat so far, but uh, in other retreats, and the person says, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing a lot of love. But I'm not here for that. I'm, I'm here to meditate. I'm here to look at myself. No, no, you're not. You're here for love. It's, it's a freeing up of the love. It's a liberation of the love. And therefore when we are touched with love and, and sense and, and experience, it's going to take some trust to be with it. And we just need just enough mindfulness to let the sense of that. And what's precious about liberated love and profound about it, it is not contracted nor dependent on the heart. In our everyday view of love, we tend to associate it with you know, deep, warm, caring feelings. Of course, much love can express that way, of course. But it would be unfortunate to limit love to a feeling world. And there are those that sometimes their love is not in that kind of feeling world there, but it is in a, uh, a way of life in which the mind is really used really well and healthy. And we have networks of wonderful people who we would not describe as being very warming and heartfelt and sharing their feelings. They wouldn't even know how to relate 
to this kind of language there. But my goodness, what he, she are doing in, the, in this world, using their mind for really important aspects of the human situation, using their knowledge and uh, explorations, really are contributing immensely through their mind, through their voice, or through their actions, or whatever. So let's not kind of restrict ourselves to love and the heart. It has a, has a wider uh, vision than that. Sometimes with this, uh, uh, the uh, area of, of love and, and the heart, one really important and lovely aspect of it is um, the, good, the, the, the use of humour. It is, a, it is a, something you know, uh, precious. And if you live in that appalling situation of Brexit, as some of us have to endure, it, 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 sometimes the only release we have from kind of governments we get and the far-right government we got at the moment is, is sometimes it's just the, the use of humour. It's, it's a release valve. Instead of getting upset and angry, we use humour. And at the railway station where I live, as a small example, someone, bless them for it, for every train that passes by, you can see a huge sign. It's about the width of this room. And the words on this huge piece of graffiti, which the passengers all see as they pass by, Brexit is a crime scene. And every time I notice this as I'm coming back home to the station and I'm going out, going out of the, the station, there's something that warms the heart at people having this protest. And there's another lovely piece of graffiti. You know, I live in a you know, radical town. We declared ourselves two years ago um, as an independent city-state. We had stopped swearing our allegiance to the Queen, and we now swear our allegiance to the EU. We issued our own passports uh, to showed that we have no interest in the Brexit. Uh, got quite a lot of publicity uh, there, but it was also some fun uh, uh, as well. And another one was, because many those of us who are campaigning in the anti-war and the Extinction Rebellion there, it said, nice piece of graffiti, it says, please do not drop bombs, there are children underneath. It just kind of makes a point, you know, rather deep smile, but a deep point is being is 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 being is being made there. And these small things in in um, Edinburgh, they have the comedy festival there, there, and one, and then they have what were the best jokes? All these comedians, and one of them which I liked very much was. Um, I decided um, to launch a campaign to, to, to support feminism, but my husband wouldn't let me. 
Or the other one was, I decided, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the talk, but I just like the humour. Um, another, another, another one was, um, I've decided to sell my vacuum cleaner because it was only gathering dust. We <laughs> could things up, things up these. Another, and the other one, the winner, the winner. It was a great one. Somebody stole my antidepressants. I hope they're happy. <laughs> now that's a masterpiece of a one-liner. You know, we, you know, we, you know, all this madness in this world. <laughs> we need some humour, and um, the, the Monty Python humour in Britain, it, it's the only thing that kind of keeps us there, otherwise we'd all have gone gone to our neighbours in France or somewhere somewhere, uh, somewhere else. The, the humour is a relief. And we need, we need some humour. Uh, and the humour uh, has a love and a, an affection and a, and, a, and, a fr- and a friendship to it. So just in summary, cause I, just, I don't want to just to leave you on a joke. <laughs> there. We give attention to the liberation of love. We want to free up the love. We want to be mindful of, as it were, making love a cause of problems and not engage in that. It's somewhere else if we do have a problem. There. We want to, in our expressions of love, there, to be mindful of not engaging in the measurements uh, of it, but just to see the way that it expresses itself, sometimes to other situations, sometimes in the way that we look after ourselves and care for ourselves. All of these things are expressions of love. When to look at love and its liberation, and to look at some of those important roles in our life, and see, what is the love there? And is it, because I don't want the high expectation of myself, I should always be loving, could a really valuable support be equanimity? To be steady. May not feel loving, but let me be steady in this situation and really explore and practice that, which our meditations, of course, really help a, a, a great deal. We also wish to look at love in out of the role. And sometimes that's being in the nature and it's being in the silence. It's in the natural, warm friendships together. To trust in the love, we may not know its application next week or next month. We may not know the love which we feel here, what that might be tomorrow, next week or next month, but we're going to trust. We're going to trust in this love. It's so deeply precious for our species and for life on earth and perhaps we'll find ways next week, next month, next year that that will manifest uh, and and the expressing the love of togetherness is beautiful to express and find the love of aloneness that is also beautiful indoors and outdoors and with the arts and creativity so the liberation of love is a great, wonderful liberation uh, of life. And we can keep exploring and reflecting uh, 
uh, on that. And being is beautiful because of the love we know and the love we share.